Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia Agnello, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Statsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Watch Hacks, streaming exclusively on Max, and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. Look out! It's only films to be buried with. Hello and welcome to another episode of Films to be Buried with. My name is Brett Goldstein. I'm a comedian, an actor, a writer, a director, a piano player, and I love films. As the drug lord Pablo Escobar once said, all empires are created of fire and blood. But my favourite empire is Empire of the Sun. It really made me cry. Every week I invite a special guest over, I tell them they've died, then I get them to discuss their life through the films that meant the most to them. If you've never heard the show before, subscribe and check out previous guests including Ricky Gervais, Nish Kumar and Catherine Ryan, amongst many other heroes. If you do enjoy the show and want to get bonus content and guest list tickets for live shows and video clips and all sorts, and you want to join a growing community of like-minded film lovers, please go to patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein. And for the price of less than a pound a podcast, you can become part of it and also feel good about helping me make this show. So, for episode 25, we have the brilliant Hayley Campbell. Hayley is an excellent writer. She's a journalist. She's a podcaster herself. She's written for Empire. She's written for GQ. She's written for all the heavy hitters. And she once wrote a book about Neil Gaiman. She's brilliant. And I was very excited to get her on the show. And it turns out I timed this just right because she is now bang in the middle of writing a book that is literally about death. Thank you. You can check out all their stuff at HayleyCampbell.com. Usual warnings apply. There is some swearing, some spoilers, and we touch lightly on dark topics, so feel free to skip any bits that upset you, but don't be a baby and skip all of it, or you'll miss all the stuff about how to drain a corpse. So that is it for now, and I very much hope you enjoy episode 25 of Films to be Buried With. Hello and welcome to Films to be Buried With. I am a man named Brett Goldstein and I am joined today by a writer, a journalist, not a novelist. What do you call someone who's written a big non-fiction book? I I would call myself a journalist, I guess, but they do big books. A journalist and one of them, uh, ultimate big book journalists. Coffee table book journalist. Coffee table journalist and a huge... Twitter, <laughs> it's everyone's favourite, Hayley Campbell. Hi. Thank you very much for coming, Hayley. I really appreciate it. You've come all the way down from, from, one, from one place to another, yeah. and I appreciate it. Delighted to have you on the show. Thank you for having me killed, just so I could be here. That's oh, so... you already know. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> this is the first time 
someone knew what was going to happen when they got here. Ah, oh, fuck. Do you, Shit. Li- do you like, before we get to your tr- tragic demise, mm-hmm. how do you feel about films? I love films. Um, I have written about films a lot. I write for Empire Magazine, which I noticed you have stacked in the bathroom. Stacked so, of them, like an so, Oscar. Yeah, I get people tweeting pictures of them reading my stuff on the toilet. Oh. Other people get sent dick pics on Twitter and I get sent, like, <laughs> you can see the guy's knees and then, like, the magazine just poking over the knees and you can see some underpants, like, bunched on the floor. This is the kind of thing I get on the internet. So, yeah, I write about films and I love films. I don't watch as many as I would like to currently because I'm working on other stuff. But Yeah, which we'll get uh, to. But I wanted to ask, as someone who writes about films and is very, uh, you write very well, I love all your stuff about films. Do you want to make films? No. But, well, I thought I did. And then yeah. in my early 20s, I dated a cinematographer for three years. And he made me thoroughly hate films uh, and everyone who makes them. Right. <laughs> it, was, it just seemed like... Um, Can you name him? Do we know any of his stuff? He's nobody. But he's he... A fucking nobody. He's a fucking no. No, he did like bad horror movies. But, you know, I like bad horror movies. And Instead. so... I thought that was interesting and then he showed me them and they were actually terrible. (laughs) So I just found that being around people who made films, and I know that there are good people, but this this group seemed to be purely people who liked films that were made by each other and every film that wasn't made by them was was shit. So, Uh. and also like uh, watching movies with him was a painful experience. Like, John Carpenter's Vampires. I was yeah. watching that and he wouldn't shut up about the use of filters because it's all orange ones. He says, nobody uses those filters anymore. I've got a box of them. I'm trying to sell them on eBay. No one needs <laughs> them except John Carpenter making making that film. That was it. I absolutely hate this guy. I, mean, <laughs> I guess the question on everyone's lips is, why three years? Oh, oh God, you do stupid things when you're yeah. uh, new in London and sad. Okay. Well, I'm not. we're not here to judge. We've all, we've all done it. We've yeah. all gone out with him. It was very charming <laughs> in the beginning. Uh, that's interesting. And that put you off making films. You thought, no, I don't I know always, to do that. I never wanted to... I find sets very interesting yeah. to think about. But then when I do set visits for the magazine, um, they are just a very kind of boring, tedious place to be. So boring, aren't They're they? They're so boring. and um, They're really boring if you're not working. If you're not like one of the main... It, yeah. Key people. It doesn't matter where you stand, you will be in the way. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if it's the hottest day on earth, you will somehow be cold. And <laughs> it's just, true. it doesn't make any sense. Um, I've been on lots of film sets and I, they physically hurt to be on. But uh, I always wanted to, and I guess I still have ideas that I might, like, I love writing scripts and I like reading scripts. And I like reading a script and then seeing how it, becomes a film yeah. because some I those scripts are really hard they're kind of bare bones how does somebody see that and then turn it into a film so I like it's like you know doing the quiz and then getting the answers you yeah know? but yeah film sets are not as fun as you think they're going to be when you're a kid I think uh you don't you've been on big you've been on big big ones mm-hmm. and little ones yeah because little ones at least stuff's happening like if you're doing an independent film Shit's moving pretty quickly. Yeah. And when I was going out with the cinematographer, I was always hoping that he would somehow get me involved in it. Right. Um, And so I was, I would go along and I would do things like haul 
lights up and down the stairs. And I was always kind of, I found it funny because all the lights had names like body parts. You know, there was the redhead, the blonde, you know, these are all in like boxes shaped like, you know, the size of a decapitated head. And then there was the, uh, the leg spreader and the baby spreader, you know, for the tripod stuff. The babies. Oh, Jesus. That was for a smaller tripod. Okay. Um, so it sounds like, uh, tools from a horror film, but he didn't even notice how funny that was until I went, look what that's called and that. You know, it's it's like the joy had gone out of it for him long before I met him. Oh, man. <laughs> this guy's a real dad. I hope he doesn't listen to this. He probably won't. I imagine he will if he was together for three years. We can cut all of this if you'd like. <laughs> no, it's fine. Um, so, uh, can I ask, you are one of the few people I know who is a journalist and successful at it, seemingly... Seems to be. Seems I to like be. that's the impression that I've uh, given on the internet. It seems like it's a difficult <laughs> area to actually be successful in these days. Yeah. Was that always, have you always been doing that? Is that something that's come about? I've always wanted to write stuff. Okay. Um, I never knew exactly what I wanted to write, but my dad, who turns up in a lot of my film stories right. because he, um, so my dad is a um, comic book author, uh, Eddie Campbell. So he, he is an artist and he did a lot of uh, autobiographical comics. So I've always grown up thinking that what you write about is yourself yeah. and about life. So I don't find it weird in the way that some people do that, you know, people talk about themselves all the time on Twitter yeah. or, you know, people write blogs about themselves or sometimes I'll write something that will be hugely personal and then it'll go in the newspaper and I'll get, Messages from people saying, why would you basically tape an hour of a therapy session and put that in the newspaper? And to me, uh, that's not all that strange. It's just, you don't draw it. I don't were, draw it. Were you, are you in your dad's comics then? As a little yeah, I'm, I'm born in them and I grow up in them and I leave home in them. So there's a very, I think there's like six men in the world. It's a very niche group yeah. who... Um, follow me on Twitter now, having followed my entire childhood. And occasionally they'll pop up and say something strange. Will they send you a picture of them reading you on the toilet <laughs> through the ages? I should, I should make a, a graph and see if the, a little Venn diagram, see if these are the same guys. Um, but, you know, like I'll bump into them at Comic Festival. Wow. Um, I remember San Diego Comic Con once. Some guy came up to me, I'd never seen him before in my life. Yeah. And he told me that, his favorite page of work that my dad had ever done was about my potty training. Oh, wow. I was 15 and I thought, great. <laughs> what, when you had the potty training? <laughs> I was 15, I was just glad it worked out at last. What, yeah. um, I'm very curious about this. If your dad was writing about you as a mm-hmm. child and everything, you're getting a kind of insight into what he thought of you or how he felt about you or the stress of raising you or any of that. Did it ever upset you? Were you ever like, how dare you say this about me or think this? It was more an insight into how he, he thought we regarded him. Okay. So, and it was not always correct. You know, my mum would always be cast as kind of a shouty mad woman, which is entirely true. <laughs> but um, the kids, I've got a brother and a sister and we were all in it. And, um, you know, we were kind of comic relief a lot of the time. Sometimes it would be a page about something else, but someone would wander in into a panel at the end and say something stupid. But as I got older, as I was a teenager, he kind of cast me as like 
long-suffering daughter who's just like putting up with her dad's madness. Right. Which is entirely not what I was. Like I worship the guy and we like the same stuff and I love the fact that he's obsessed with things and he is interested in art and who makes them and everything. So yeah, I found it interesting that he would cast me that way. And sometimes the guys on the internet on on Twitter go, yeah. remember when your dad did that thing and like roll their eyes. And I think, yeah, yeah, I do remember when he did that thing and I loved it. I was there. So did you ever have this conversation with him? Do you ever say I didn't sometimes, but I don't think he, uh, I don't think he quite believes me. So it's fascinating. Okay. So you, you knew this. You're the first guest to know this. It's not a surprise. Look, death is my beat. (laughs) You're, you've died. (laughs) And, uh, how did you die? I, um, think, and I don't think this is a, a, a wild stretch. I think I will probably die in my flat alone <laughs> watching. I think it'll be something like watching Larry Sanders. What a way to go. What a way to go, right? And and I think that by the Killed time... by Larry Sanders. I probably love so too hard uh, Hank's sex tape or something. That's the best. And then by the time they find me, I'm probably mm. mummified. It's been a while. Okay. Although my dad will have been ringing the flat to see if I'm okay, because if I don't tweet for 24 hours, he'll, oh, really? he thinks I've, I'm dead. Fuck. So by the time they find me, I think my cat will have like eaten some of my fingers. Cause if I'm napping, he tries to wake me up like the cats in Batman Returns. Batman says, with, yeah. Uh, that would Selena make you into Catwoman though, right? Yeah. Okay. So maybe I don't die. So you die and then become Catwoman. That's what happens. As your dad is ringing the phone. Yeah. Okay. No, this is great. <laughs> okay. But then you die because Eventually, she does, she's, eventually. And then it's Catwoman, you... Yeah. But in, she she has amazing hair and a cool outfit before she dies, so... Okay, that's brilliant. Now, one of the reasons that... One thing that's interesting about you, uh, one of the many, is that you are currently writing a book about death. Yeah. Tell me about death. Well, this, I'm, first of all, I'm going to be difficult and say I don't want to be buried. So, I don't want to be buried with DVDs. Listen, I mean... It was too late to put that request request in, (laughs) I'm afraid. You'd already died. Uh, Yeah, I don't want to be buried and I don't want to be cremated because I've seen what happens when you're buried and I worked in a crematorium last week and uh, I've seen what happens when you're burned in a fire and I don't want either of those things to happen. So hang on, you're writing a non-fiction book where you're interviewing... People who work in the death industry. So there's this whole group of people, you know, somebody you know dies. Yeah. And then we pay a whole bunch of people to do all the things that we don't want to do, can't think about, and don't really ever question. You know, when I was a teenager, I went to a lot of funerals. For some reason, I knew a lot of people who died, including, like, my friend drowned when she was 13. So there was that. There was someone else who died of cancer in high school. I had grandparents die. So I was just, it felt like I was at a lot of funerals. Mm. And every time I go... I'd be sitting there and people would be doing their eulogies and, you know, there was lots of stuff to distract you from the coffin. But yeah. all I did was stare at the box and I just wanted to know what was inside it. Because none of these are open coffins. Yeah. And if I can't see something, that's what I want to see. I always think the monster is scarier in the film. And then they show it to you and it's just some guy dressed as a goat. And you go, right. oh. So I am, like everybody, terrified of death, terrified of dying. And so I wanted to see if, death is as scary as we think it is by going and seeing these people at work and seeing what they do every day. How do you feel about death now? <laughs> now Are I can cure? Uh, no. Um, now it's, uh, I'm still halfway through it, so I still haven't okay. figured it out. But now it feels 
more pointed and I have more specific reasons to be afraid. <laughs> I think this book is fucking me up, oh, really? um, but it's really interesting. And if I'm interested in something, it doesn't, I will look it up. I will look at the horrible pictures, the crime scene yeah. photos, the stuff that I know will give me nightmares. Right. And basically this book is doing all of that. Oh God. So you've seen behind the curtain and it hasn't made you feel any better. No. Right. <laughs> So the whole premise of the book, the whole, maybe it's not as scary as yeah. we think it is. Maybe it's fine. It's not fine. It's horrible. <laughs> it's, and in conclusion, it's worse. It's worse yeah, than it's, we <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I uh, should probably tell my publisher at some point that uh, this is making it worse. But uh, it's interesting seeing what happens. And so mm. burial, don't want it to happen. I don't want to be cremated. I don't want to be embalmed. Right. I would like to be dissolved. There's a new kind of machine where it's called an alkaline hydrolysis machine. Yeah. And it's like um, a big silver tank and you go into it and you're not in a coffin. You're just wrapped in a shroud. Right. Then superheated water and this alkaline solution is yeah. pumped into this thing. And over the course of three or four hours, everything that is meat on you dissolves away. And what's left is a perfectly white skeleton and then any like plastic implants or metal implants in your body that all washes up on the tray afterwards. And then they pick out the metal bits and they put your bones, all the pieces of you into this thing called a cremulator and they whiz you up, which is what happens in a normal fire cremation. But instead of coming out looking like cat litter, you come out looking like cocaine. And it's just this bag of white stuff and it's really clean. It's really nice. There's, you know, cremation, fire cremation is really violent. And this mm. just seems really nice. So. Do you want to be dissolved like something in Breaking Bad? Like a drug dealer? Yes. Like a violent criminal in Breaking Bad? Yeah, it just seems really neat. Yeah. Like with burial. How often is this happening? Is this it? It's currently legal in about 15, 16 states in America. Ooh. But the guy who makes the machines is from Glasgow. But they won't let him install one in the UK. Why? Because the UK is scared of tabloids writing shitty articles, which they already have about, um, you know, liquid bodies in the drain, because all of the stuff that dissolves becomes this liquid that looks a bit like tea and they just put it down the drain. It's completely sterile. There's nothing gross in it. Like they do this on farms with cows and then they use that, that liquid as fertilizer. So it's actually full of nutrients and that goes in the drain, but the sun writes up articles and it sounds like there's, you know, mincemen or, you know, (laughs) people from death line in the drain and it's disgusting. I like the sound of this. It's really good. I like being turned into a bag of coke. (laughs) You've got some use afterwards. Yeah. And then like, has anyone snorted the bag of I'm sure, I'm sure someone will have. Yeah. If you have, please write in. We'd love to know (laughs) how it went. Do you think uh, there's an afterlife? No, nothing. I think there's nothing. I think your brain winks out Mm -hmm. and it's complete darkness and nothing, which is sad and terrifying, but also I think the best option. Why so? I don't want, I wouldn't want to hang around the world seeing it continue on without me. Okay. And also I don't think I'm important enough to hang around. Like Hmm. what you'd be like, then you're like behind the window watching going, I want to be part of this, but you can't be. It seems very egotistical to believe that, you will continue on forever. That yeah. there will be something that, some sort of, I don't know, spirit or whatever that propels you for all eternity. Like, mm. what if there's just not enough energy in the world? 
So you need to, I think you live your time and then your brain shuts down and then that is it. Oh God, no wonder. <laughs> no wonder this book is now been. Okay. This book is really depressing. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting really... <laughs> I'm, how long have you got left? I'm sure I'll be fine. Well, yeah. it was due in January and I've asked for an extension until July because I, before I started doing it, I was yeah. predicting how long it takes me to write about stuff. And I said, oh yeah, I'll do that. And then two weeks later, I'll do that. And two weeks later, I'll do that. And then it turns out that if you dress dead bodies for their funeral, if you put people in their coffins, like that is a hugely emotional thing yeah. to do. And you can't go straight from that to something else. To a tweet. Yeah, and you can't go home and write about it immediately because you don't know what you think about it immediately. There's a lot of staring out of train windows. and Bloody hell, so you've been doing all this stuff. Yeah, and I'm really glad I did. Yeah. But it is a lot. Wow. I mean, I'm going to read your book, but I'm scared. We might be dead by then. It's not out until 2020. Oh, that's true. Okay. Um, Well, here's something you didn't find out for your book. You'll be surprised about. Uh, I don't even know if you'll be annoyed about it when the listeners, but uh, there is an afterlife. Shit. Yeah, there's. Well, you have to carry on. My theory is wrong. Yeah, well, it's given you a new, a new. This is your positive ending, maybe. Okay. Which you'd be looking for. There's a heaven, and all they're interested in is films. So they're, <laughs> they're banging into films, and they just want to know about your life through films. So the first thing they ask is what is the very first film that you remember seeing? Now, I would have been, I would have seen loads and loads of films because my dad was at home drawing comics all day. So I would have seen lots. But the first one I remember seeing and thinking, this is the kind of thing I like, is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Great. The 1991. Um, I loved it. And I also loved the Ninja Turtles and dad knew this. And so he was at San Diego Comic-Con one year, uh, the the year of me loving the turtles. And they were selling little plushy toys, but they were individual. And it was either, there were three there, but it was missing Raphael. And he's like, well, I can't take home three turtles. And he saw this like 10 year old boy just over there who had Raphael. And so he got into this argument with this kid where he's like, I'll buy you three turtles if you just give me the one turtle. And the kid's like, no, because Raphael's the best one, which is true. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, I'm not giving up my Raphael. And dad, and so dad was arguing with him, you know, three turtles yeah. for your one turtle. Can you not see how this is a better deal? And the kid just wouldn't budge on it. Um, went on for ages. The guys behind the, the counter were watching the whole thing. So it takes, you know, 10, 15 minutes. Finally, dad comes back. He's hot. He's, he's got the, the three turtles he wants to buy for the kid, yeah. plus the three turtles for me and the Raphael he's stolen off the kid. And he's like <laughs> trying to work out how much money he owes these guys. Yeah. And the guys knew who he was. Right. Said, no, Eddie, it's fine. You just take all the turtles. Like that wow. was payment enough watching you arguing with this kid. So I loved those turtles and yeah. I watched it last year. I've always been a bit. Turtles. <laughs> in, the, in the UK, weren't they called hero turtles? Yeah. That's we didn't cool. like ninjas and we didn't have nunchucks. They cut all the sequence. It was like dodgy because it had a nunchuck sequence. You know that the BBFC don't allow... Nunchucks? Nunchucks in films, so they're always cut here. Really? And there were nunchucks in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Anyway, so, so you, do, where did you grow up? 
I grew up in Australia. Okay. So I moved to London when I was 20. But I was born in Brighton, so I have two passports. Right. So they can't kick me out Are after your Brexit. family still in Australia? All right. <laughs> no, it's all a bit complicated now. My dad... Where's your um, dad? He is married... He married my friend, Audrey Niffenegger, who wrote The Time Traveler's Wife. No shit. Yeah. I introduced them about six years ago, and they got married. How do you feel about that? It's really good. It's oh, like great. I uh, picked my own stepmother. That's but um, nice. she, yeah, she's really excellent. So Great book. Excellent book. She's writing the sequel book. right now. I left oh. her in the house. She's in my flat. So he lives in Chicago. Yes. Uh, and my sister lives in Edinburgh. And my mum and brother still live in Australia. Are you the oldest? Yeah. So you loved those bloody turtles. Yeah, I love those bloody turtles. And I rewatched it last year. And I was always afraid to watch Ninja yeah. Turtles again. Because it's... I think of Ninja Turtles all the time. Um, <laughs> there's, there's a bit where April O'Neil is walking along... Uh, in her yellow jacket and mm-hmm. she's jangling her keys and you, it's the sound of her feet mm. of the shoes on the wet pavement it sounds very much like walking on wet pavement in england and jangling my keys to go to my flat so i think of that scene all the time wow but i never watched it because i thought what if it's shit and yeah. i was a, a little bit frightened i watched it last year it's still fucking great oh still great love turtles so that's yeah. great and i watching it again like i don't think i noticed that uh Casey was a babe at the right. time. And he is now, uh, well, he was in The Sopranos. <laughs> Who is he? Dominic Palladino or something. Okay. It's not a name like that. But I remember watching it and dad going, oh, it's the guy from Ninja Turtles. <laughs> it's Casey Jones. And, um, and, but I didn't have a good enough picture of Casey Jones in my head because yeah. uh, I was just focused on the turtles. It's quite right. dark, isn't it? It's quite like uh, unlike. Films like that now, yeah. isn't it? It's quite sort of... It's all very dark. It's really like, dark. It's really dark. Shredder is terrifying yeah. and all of his thugs. Sam Rockwell is in it as a really young thug. No shit. And also uh, Skeet Ulrich, and yeah. uh, he's in it. From Screen. And a guy from Party of Five. Ah, he's like in it as, like, the young thugs, Shredders, the, the foot guys. The soldiers. Yeah, the foot soldiers. And I completely forgot that Corey Feldman did the voice of um, is it Leonardo, one of them. It's an independent film, isn't it? Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I don't know. Yeah, it's like <laughs> it? properly. That, I think that's why it's sort of a bit odd and a bit dark, is it wasn't a studio film. It's really odd and scary, and yeah, then yeah. Splinter is ill and you know might be dying. It's horrible. Yeah. So you watched that at home. Yeah, I had it on, on a video. video. So it was one of those videos that I think someone gave it to me, but it. it it had been watched so much that watching the turtles meant you had to watch them through white snow on yeah, the top yeah. and the bottom. Do you remember the first cinema trip? Uh, yeah, I think it was Milo and Otis. Oh, shit. Yeah. The cat and the dog. Cat and the dog. The pug and the ginger cat. Cat and the dog. Go on a walk. Which is one of those films that people go, well, you know that hundreds of cats and dogs were killed <laughs> in the making of that film, so you're not allowed to like it. Right. Um, How do you feel It's probably that? true. Well, it introduced me to Dudley Moore. Yeah. So... That's good. I haven't seen it in years, but I remember yeah. eating Vegemite sandwiches in the cinema. Ah, oh, what? That's nice. So you didn't make a noise? No, yeah. Oh. <laughs> no crisps, what just Vegemite. Um, what is the film that made you cry the most? Now, I was listening to the Nathaniel Metcalf episode. Big fan. He's a good guy. Wonderful um, man. I've seen a m- many, many films with him, and he gave the exact same answer. Oh, shit. But I'm going with it. I've written it down now. Uh, It was, I was going to say, 
It's a Wonderful Life. I cry uh, all the way through that. Okay. And every time I see it, it's like, I turn it on now and start crying. <laughs> it's just the sound of it makes you cry. Yeah. But I think The Elephant Man comes very, very close or is either made me cry more, but I think I've seen it less. Right. Um, it's a very un-David Lynch film to me because David Lynch films, you kind of think, oh, picket fence and weirdness behind it. Whereas yeah. The Elephant Man is just weirdness from the out. You go, this is a, a weird, yeah. it's, it's a circus freak show. That's true. And I'm doing this a lot with my book. I'm going behind and seeing like what's actually happening with stuff. And I know where the elephant man skeleton is. Oh yes. He's in my land. Yeah. Where I had the uh, artwork done for my podcast is where the elephant man is. Oh really? I believe. Yeah. He's in an, well, he's in an office. Oh no. You're thinking of Bart's pathology. Oh yeah. That's where I was. Uh, he's not in that building. He's in a uh, anatomy school out in my land, but just in an office because he's not on show out of respect. What's he doing in the office? Is he sat on a chair? Yeah, just sat around. I haven't seen him. I've been desperate to see him, but a lot of the Elephant Man is people being desperate to see him. So it feels kind of bad that I would want to see him again. There's a movement right now um, to not get rid of, but find homes for bury things that have been snatched from bodies or, you know, like the, the Irish giant in the Hunterian Museum his last wish was that he, he asked to be buried at sea because the last thing he wanted was to be looked at oh, after shit. his death. And he is in a box in a museum by Lincoln's Inn Fields. And he's been there for decades. Oh, that's horrible. So like, you know, museums going, well, should, should we give back all of our stuff? Yeah. There's kind of a movement for the Irish giant to be buried at sea. There's also, um, museums are taking the babies that are in the jars, the kind of, you know, the two-headed babies, yeah. the mermaid babies, the cyclops, the ones that look like they're half crab. Yeah. They're taking them and they're hiding them in cupboards where they're not on show. That No one's really sure what to do with this stuff yet yeah. because those babies will have been taken from the mothers and no one will have said, we're taking your baby. Mm. So that all that is all taken without consent. And I think the law only changed in like 2006. Fuck. So... Yeah, back to the elephant, man. You know, like, who owns his skeleton and why is he still sitting in an office in my land? Yeah. And knowing that... he's going to finish his spreadsheet? (laughs) Knowing that, watching the elephant man and seeing his whole life and then knowing how he ends up, you know, it doesn't get better, it just gets worse. Mm. And it it is one of the most heartbreaking stories in the world and one of the most heartbreaking movies I've ever seen. And it's amazing. Have you read, I'm reading Room to Dream, the David Lynch half autobiography no and in it there's a section about the elephant man which i think they used in empire as Mm -hmm. a sample and it's amazing because he came to england he'd never been to england he didn't know anything about any of it and everyone was quite horrible to him like the cast and crew were like what who's this stupid american come to do this thing and he says and i totally believe him he said i walked through this cobbled street i found a street that was like hadn't changed since victorian time and he said um I closed my eyes and I felt this wind go through me and suddenly I understood all of Victorian England. And then you watch the Elephant Man and you go, yeah. Yeah. Seems like you <laughs> seems like you had a feel for it. Yeah. Did you see the art life? Yeah. Fuck me. I love him. There was a really good bit. I, I now like zero in on anything death related. Mm-hmm. I'm very blinkered at the moment. But he was um, talking about how he met the mortuary 
assistant of his town one night, like in a 24 hour diner, right. got talking to some guy and he said, oh yeah, I'm, you know, the night watchman at the mortuary. And David Lynch, who was a teenager at the time, goes, oh, can I come see? And he yeah. said, yeah, of course, you know, come down midnight, whatever. And so Lynch turns up there, the guy lets him in and says, this is what it is. And when you turn up at a mortuary, it is just a row of fridges. Yeah. It is a very weird thing. And in the ones I've been at, you know, they're not going to just show you stuff. It's mm-hmm. not a museum. Uh, you need to have a reason to look at something. So when you do turn up, it is just a wall of fridges. And Lynch said he sat down on the linoleum and was just looking at all this stuff and thinking, all of these people have ended up here. This is the end of their story, but what were the beginnings? And he was just kind of overwhelmed with the idea of yeah. all of these lives and stories and everybody ends up in a fridge, in a fridge with a toe tag. And he said that was a very important bit of him yeah. forming what he wanted to do with his life and as a storyteller. Because I love him so much. I love him. He's such a weirdo and his hair so is so great. Yeah. What do you think of his art? It's scary. I think everything <laughs> he does is scary and I love it. I really liked how he kept like fussing with one piece of putty or like plasticine or something. He was yeah. smearing it on the canvas and then he'd stand back and like it looked like shit smeared on the canvas, but not correctly. So he'd go back and fiddle <laughs> yeah. with it a little bit it's more. not shitty enough. Yeah. I just love it. He can do no wrong. So that's a good answer. Uh, and it's a wonderful life. I mean, yeah, because it's a, uh, is it the, the very like message of it's a wonderful life that gets you? No. Um, see, I, they don't play it's a wonderful life every Christmas like they do over here. So by the time I saw it the first time, I was like 17, 18, I watched right. it as an adult and I focused, focused on the, the depression and the suicide and this yeah. guy, like he's about to top himself and people think that it's, like kind of schmaltzy and it's just a Christmas film. It's all nice. It is fucking bleak. So bleak. It's a man thinking that the world is better off without him. And like, he's actually looking over the bridge and I don't think there's anything sadder. Yeah. And knowing that that's what's going to come, it means like all the beginning, you know, with the, you know, nice stuff with the little girl leaning over and saying, George Bailey, is this the ear you can't hear on? Like you just start bawling. Yeah. Great film. Uh, I watch Muppet Christmas Carol every year at uh-huh. the Prince Charles sing along, and uh, I'd say it makes me cry from opening chord. To... <laughs> Just because you're at the Prince Charles doing a sing along. There's a of that. I just think every single shot of it is so beautiful; it makes me cry. Yeah, it's really yeah. good. Uh, what is the film that scared you the most? That would be um, the Amityville Horror Four. Okay. Right. Go on. So... Does it have a subtitle? Or it's just Amityville Horror 4? Oh, it's probably something bullshit, like Directly. the evil within. Who okay. knows? But when I was a kid, we'd come over and visit my grandparents up in Blackpool occasionally. Right. That's a long flight, especially for an eight-year-old. So jet lag to was Blackpool, just... Yeah. yeah. From Australia to yeah. Blackpool. So I rem- one of the first nights I was eight, I was lying in bed. Uh, couldn't sleep, but I could hear my grandma downstairs... Because they, grandma and grandpa would stay up until like three in the morning. That's just what they did. And they'd just be watching TV and it's whatever came on. Great. And I crept down the stairs and grandma was, you know, there was a film about to start. She said, if you can't sleep, you can watch a film with me. And it was the fucking Amityville Horror 4, right? <laughs> and that film, which I haven't seen since. Yeah. 
the whole thing is this, like, there's an evil spirit. I think it's somebody's evil father or something. And he is inhabiting this lamp, which is a tall lamp. And it's got a big light on the top. It's this glowing orb. And it's got these little arms as well. But it's like, in the daytime, it's just an arty, weird lamp. And everyone's like, you know, I think the little girl says, oh, no, the lamp was talking to me last night. Because this face would kind of appear in the in the globe, this grey, evil face. And then in the daytime, it was nothing. Um, and there's a part, like, the end of the, the mm. thing, after this big, scary lamp has done all this stuff, <laughs> uh, yeah. he, the lamp is thrown out the window, and they live on the side of a cliff. So it falls down this cliff and mm. lands on the rocks by the, the sea. And so the evil spirit is now let free of the lamp. And then you see it go into the family cat and the cat's eyes glow red. So I watched that. Then grandma said, well, let's go to bed. So I go to bed and then she knew it shat me right up because (laughs) in my next birthday, she used to do these little watercolor paintings of birds and like flowers and things on plates that were all around the house. But it was just an ordinary looking birthday card that you would buy in Sainsbury's. And then on the inside, she'd done this fully watercolored painting of this evil lamp. And then she said, happy birthday. I've still got it. It it was terrifying. And uh, I think watching that film again would ruin all of the magic. So So you've scared, you've been scared of lamps ever since. Yeah. (laughs) And you have a cat, which is great. Yes. I did not know it's a cat lamp. I know. Lamp cat. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia and Yellow, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Statsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with Hacks writer and actor Pat Regan, on how their improv experience helped them when shooting scenes and what it was like writing scripts for specific actors. You'll also hear from crew members like the costume designers on what it was like creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Hear stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and more. Watch Hacks streaming exclusively on Max, and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so you haven't watched Amsterdam Horror no that brings me to my next question which is what is a film that you used to love that you have watched recently and gone oh dear idea this is not a good film or it's dated very badly or whatever i haven't watched any that i have thought that but i think a film i loved when i was a teenager that i think if i watched it again i might discover it's actually about nothing Mm. is american beauty that is a very interesting uh shout and i think you may find that. I think the the thing about American Beauty is it's one of them, it's very of its time, and also it's been, it was imitated and so many things came off it. So many. That now it's almost ruined by, it's sort of been uh, cannibalised. Yeah. And there's now nothing but just a cocaine bag of bones. <laughs> and, uh, uh, yeah, and I think watching it as a teenager, I liked it because you think, 
oh, everyone's miserable at all ages. Yeah. Like the miserable teenagers, the miserable parents, everybody's life is fucked up and they go, ah, you know, it's not because of the spacey thing because I can watch art made by terrible people and still appreciate the art. And I know that's not a thing you can talk about on Twitter without people um, disagreeing with you. But like I was saying, I think anyone who believes they can only watch art Mm. purely made by good people hasn't met enough artists. (laughs) Everybody is fucked up. So, you know, and I will, you know, watch Woody Allen movies and listen to Phil Spector records. Right. I can do all of that. Um, So it's not even, it's not even the spacey thing. I will say Mm. that American Beauty introduced me to one of my other favorite films though because you know when they're jogging yeah. and the dad sees the teenage guy jog- jogging with kevin spacey and he's like what's going on here and uh, and they were talking about drugs so he says he thinks of the the some excuse that just popped into his head he yeah. goes oh um he was gonna lend me reanimator oh great and so the guy runs into the they go, they go in and like they're getting the drugs and stuff but um i remember watching that and thinking Huh, what's Reanimator? <laughs> and I love H.P. Lovecraft because I'm a virgin nerd. So um, I watched Reanimator and that is a film that I love. So even if American Beauty is terrible now, it gave it me gave Reanimator. I will be thankful for that forever. The thing about American Beauty is, one thing is, what, what I remember of it, and I haven't seen it in a few years, I remember it's very cruel to the mother character, to uh, Annabelle, what's her name? Uh, Annette Annette Benning. Like, it's a really good... Like, everyone sort of is given a chance, except I always remember thinking, it's very horrible to her. Like, she's not a very... She was getting drilled by the real estate king. Yeah. Like, she did get some good stuff. But she's sort of like, she's the bitch. She doesn't understand any of them. And she's like... I feel like she doesn't get the sympathy that all the other characters get. Oh, and I do think it's interesting, maybe looking at, is the moment of him about to have sex with Mina Savari, and he goes... She says she's a virgin, and he's yeah. like, oh, shit, and it sort of kills that whole... I think that's probably very interesting in the current climate. I don't know if <laughs> yeah. But the thing I think most amazing about American Beauty, as someone who has made stuff, is that Sam Mendes apparently shot three days, three or four days, had already spent a million or something, and thought, I've shot this all wrong, this is wrong, I'm setting the wrong tone, and literally called Steven Spielberg and said, can I start again? Which would have cost... A million, I don't know. How badly did he fuck up? And they said yes. And I thought, you lucky? <laughs> you lucky, lucky man. Wow. And I don't know how huh. how many first-time directors get that opportunity to go, can we start again? Because I feel like we're on the wrong track here. Yeah. I would just... You just have to swallow that and go, it'll <laughs> it'll be okay. It'll be fine. Yeah. They're all singing and dancing. That's, that's fine. That's yeah. what we were expecting. The crew right? haven't noticed. They're just tired. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Yeah, you may be right. Yeah I, yeah, I can't actually be bothered to watch that one again. So if maybe if it's on a plane, I, that's where I watch my films mostly, yeah. on planes. Or maybe watch it on a plane. Okay, and let us know. Yeah. Uh, what is a film that most people don't like, or is like critically uh, <laughs> mauled, and you're like, this is a masterpiece, you're all idiots. Okay, this one came out at a time when I wasn't reading the reviews, because yeah. I'm not sure what year it was, but I'm sure it was critically shat on. Um, this is Staying Alive, starring John Travolta, directed by Sylvester Stallone. Yes, you're correct. That was a <laughs> critically underappreciated film. I watched that in a uh, a double bill 
at my friend Nick's house. I watched Perfect, also John Travolta. Jamie Lee Curtis. And Jamie Lee Curtis. Exercise. It's got a phenomenal aerobic scene, yeah. which I love. And Isn't that where Cool On Me comes from? The Cool On Me video oh, yeah. is a rip-off from Perfect. Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah. Yeah. So Perfect is great. And Staying Alive, it's like Stallone misunderstood what was great about Saturday Night Fever. It, it's like he completely missed the point. And I love Stallone. I love Rocky. And I, yeah. you know, I, I love his dumb Instagram videos where he's trying to embarrass his daughters. Like, Stallone is great. I've even watched his porno. Oh, yeah. Which uh, is it's also not study. critically acclaimed. <laughs> <laughs> it's called The Party at Kitty and Studs. Huh. And uh, that, weirdly, there are no boners in it. No one's got any boners. It's just like limp dicks. And occasionally you see them being stuck to thighs. Eesh. It's really weird. This sounds horrible. Yeah, it's a horrible film. I've watched it loads. Because I, <laughs> <laughs> I wrote about it for BuzzFeed. So I had to make little gifts of the saddest parts. And there's like a naked ringer ringer rosies bit where right. like Stallone is going around. You see his like dick flying around. It's just, I don't understand it. Hmm. But there's a bit in the middle of it where he's running around in a park and like jumping up on top of play equipment. And it could be like a Rocky three montage sequence. Like, if he didn't have his knob out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Very sold, weird. sold me on that now. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he made Staying Alive. Yes. So John Travolta, who I absolutely love. And I'm uh, dating a guy currently who thinks I was joking when I said I loved John Travolta, like he, he, like I was being ironic, but Mm. no, I actually, I think he's great. And I, there are films that you can point at and go, look, he's even a great actor. Like he may be, or he said, you mean like Battlefield Earth, John Travolta? And I said, yes, but he also made Blowout with Brian De Palma, which is one of my favorite movies. Best performance of his career. So good. Yeah. And I think it's my favorite De Palma movie as well. Good shout. Great shout. So, and Travolta's great in I Love Grease. I hate musicals, but I love Grease. Mm-hmm. And um, he's great in Saturday Night Fever. And then he did Staying Alive, which is the sequel. So the story is he's gone to the city and he's going to be a dancer. And it's just lots of dance sequences where Travolta is ripped and greased up. And at one point wearing, like, fur and stuff. Like, he's a like scary caveman. It's... <laughs> it's um. Is it like a dance competition? It's like, it's like a dance competition. It's like Stallone made another Rocky film, but about dance. Right. And, you know, it's really violent dance and he's like working out a lot. He just made Rocky again, but with dancing. Does he win? I can't remember if he wins. It's like, I don't think that's the point. It's like, he's going to be a professional dancer. It's about like, there's a girl he loves and then another shitty one he doesn't so much. It's the same story. Does it have the darkness that Saturday Night Fever has? No. Right. It's just like, oh, right. So what they loved about Saturday Night Fever was the dancing. (laughs) That's what Saturday Night Fever was about. But Saturday Night Fever catches you unawares because you think it's just about the dancing. And then it's horrible. It's a really depressing film. I watched it in New York in that cinema that does a lot of old movies. I can't remember the name of it. Um... And then all of their equipment died after the, um, there's the dance competition with yeah. the other people. And 
and they win. And so all the, all of the equipment died. So all of these people in the cinema left thinking it was this nice film about a dance competition and John Travolta, you know, he wins, he wins and oh, happy, happy ending. And um, I wanted to stop them all at the door and go, no, like, it's, no one's killed themselves yet. It's like, uh, it's bleaker than you think. <laughs> it's so bleak. Uh, wow. But yeah, staying alive, not bleak. And you and you're sticking by it. I'm sticking by it because it's it's another Rocky movie, just yeah. with added Travolta. And I don't think adding a Travolta to anything is a bad idea. Like he was great in the People versus O.J. Simpson. Did you watch that? I did not watch that. You have to go back and watch it because okay. he's his acting is it's unbelievable. He's uh, like he's playing Shapiro, who is one of the lawyers on. OJ's team. Right. And he just does a lot of, like, he's, he's overacting and he's wearing eyebrow wigs. And, <laughs> like, there's a bit where he comes back from holiday and he's wearing a Hawaiian shirt. And, like, everyone, they're, they're kicking him off the legal team. Right. And so he's getting angry, but he's wearing a Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> it's just really good. Like, I love him so much that I watched all of Gotti. Wow. How was it? Awful. Mm. Absolutely shit. Do you love him so much that you you made it all the way through the music video, recent music video he did with Olivia Newton-John at an airport? No. Oh, my God. <laughs> that <laughs> might be that? the test. Okay. When you leave here, I'm going to send you a music video. Okay. And if at the end of it you can you can, you can can still live this life. I'll be... Listen, I love it, but it's, <laughs> it's a special piece. I think he's one of those people that I was introduced to so young with mm. Look Who's Talking that... He's Luke just... is talking with my favourite film when oh. I was little. Yeah. I thought Luke is talking was the pinnacle of... I was like, well, this is it. Yeah, this really is good. Yeah, even Kirstie Alley got like a free free ride in my mind. She's like, yeah. she's fine. Whatever she does, she's good. Agreed. And he's very charming in it. Yeah. There's a great dream sequence where she imagines her future with him and he's burping. And yeah. all the kids are laughing and going, again! And he burps some more. I love yeah. it. Yeah. And it also told us how babies are made. Like, that's, that's how, how we the animation. It. That's how... It, yeah. I... It only occurred to me years later that there's not a light on in there and it's done in complete darkness. <laughs> that's so true. That is so true. I've forgotten that that is how I imagine babies being made. Is yeah. the credit sequence to look... They're all racing. They're all talking to each other. It's really impressive. And what is it? Puppets they've used? I have no idea. That's I haven't watched it since the early 90s. So. Wow. Great film. Great film. George Seagal. Mm-hmm. As the naughty boy. Yeah. And uh, isn't Bruce Willis the voice of the baby? Bruce Willis is the baby. It only, you know, I think it's under, undervalued because of the many sequels, including Look Who's Talking Now, where it was <laughs> a dog and a cat. Talking. Yeah, I don't think I even gave a shit about those ones. I saw them when they were on TV, but they weren't. I was like, oh, no, the sequels have gone too far now. Even as a kid, you know. Look Who's Talking has a, one of my favourite jokes in the film. Is there's little, the kids are in the playground, mm. in the sandbox, they're babies. And one of them says, I've got a joke. How many babies does it take to change a light bulb? What's a light bulb? <laughs> and then three of them laugh, and then one of them goes, I don't get it. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's great. Uh, great film. Yeah. Um, so, what is the film that means the most to you? Not because of the film itself, necessarily, but because of the experience you had around seeing it that will always make you remember that film. You know how in famous people's Wikipedia entries, yeah. there's like someone who's done something amazing, invented something, or, yeah. you know, 
change the world in some way. There's always a bit where they had polio and were like stuck in bed, <laughs> stuck oh, in bed months or years, you know, yeah. like, so they were just reading everything and they became massively smart and that's what they did. Mm-hmm. So, uh, when I was a teenager, mm-hmm. I had several knee surgeries because I am hypermobile and my kneecaps do this thing where they slide around the back of my knee. Eesh. It's not fun. So, um, what, and you can still bend. They still bend, but the kneecap goes around and then I have to hit the kneecap back in and all the tendons are stretched. And it's actually like, oh it's really, it's because I'm hypermobile and all of my like ligaments and stuff is too stretchy. Okay. So even now I have to do lots of exercises to keep everything kind of mm-hmm. tight. Otherwise I'm like made of elastic and wow. <laughs> anyway. So when I was 13, And then again, twice when I was 15, Mm -hmm. I had knee surgeries, which meant I would spend two months on the sofa, not going to school. And then I'd have, then I wouldn't really go out much because I was staying home doing lots of physio and you do lots of physio in front of the TV. Right. So I was going to have a lot of time just lying around Mm -hmm. and, um, my dad's friends knew this. So they, they, like the three wise men, they Mm -hmm. brought around piles of stuff that they thought. 13-year-old Haley Campbell doesn't know she loves this yet, but she will. Uh, so one of them brought around all of Twin Peaks on video. That's fucking amazing. Right? Yeah. And I watched that fucked off my head on Morphine. Oh, wow. And I think I got him in the wrong order. Like, just <laughs> weird. So I watched all of Twin Peaks. I watched a lot of Dennis Potter TV shows. So, like, karaoke, lipstick on your collar, stuff like that. Lipstick on Your Collar was of interest to me because it was one of Ewan McGregor's very first roles. Um, I was going to bring up, if we could have a little sidebar, Cold (laughs) Lazarus. Did you ever see Cold Lazarus? I remember it. I haven't seen it in a long time, not since I was 13. I'm not sure I got all the way through. But it's set in the future. And the reason I thought of it is because it's about death and and his head is um, preserved in like water, almost like a fish tank. Yeah. And his his consciousness is still there. And what no one realises, they think they've like done all this science, but his... Consciousness is going, I want to go, I want to be dead. Yeah. And they've kept him alive forever. To me, that is the most horrifying idea yeah. that you are trapped here and you want to be nothing. But it ends with them, like, unplug- the machine gets unplugged and you just hear his consciousness go, yes, as he's finally <laughs> freed <laughs> to die. Anyway, continue. Yeah, I've, I want to go back and watch The Singing Detective because mm. I did watch this at the same time. So um, I, I'm going to go back and do a whole bunch of Dennis Potter's. But right. I did them for the first time when I was 13 and somebody else gave me a big pile of Dan Klaus comics. And right. I love Dan Klaus comics. Always will. So that was a very, that was my like polio period on yeah. my uh, Wikipedia thing. And also because my dad was at home just drawing comics all the time, I was lying on the sofa and we'd be like having conversations. Like he was this far away yeah. for two months. And it sounds like I was like improving my mind and watching all of the things that would be important later, but I was also watching a lot of Jerry Springer and Ricky Lake. Right, okay. But there was one week where whoever was programming the daytime channel that day, yeah. that week said, we're going to have a Jack Lemon um, retrospective for the whole week. So at midday, every day for a week or two, it was just Jack Lemon movies. Oh, wow. And I didn't really know who Jack Lemon was, but dad said, okay, every day we're going to watch a Jack Lemon movie. So they did... Some like it hot and they, you know, and, but the one that I remember loving the most was the apartment. Oh, great. And I still have, like, it's 
my favorite movie of all time. I have a poster from the 1960s framed on my wall. And so the, the, the apartment is important to me because it is a great film, but also because it's one of those films where dad, you know, yeah. I wouldn't have come across that by myself. That's one of those. You can't go anywhere. Yeah. I have the remote. We're going to watch this and you're going to love it. And he was right. Mm. So yeah, that, and also like reading the script, the screenplay of mm. the apartment, there are jokes in there that are just for you reading the script. They don't make it onto... Like stage jokes and jokes. Yeah, like yeah. at the very end. So after after Jack Lemmon has been like dealing the cards, mm. and, you know, he's, he's grinning at Shelley MacLaine. The, ne- the final line of the screenplay is, and that's about it, story-wise. Uh. And it says fade out. And like, that's just for us. No that's one would beautiful. see that. And I just... Billy Wilder was insanely talented. Mm. And to have done Sunset Boulevard, Some Like It Hot, and Double Indemnity. Yeah. Those are all on my list of all-time favorite films. Like, yeah. How does a man do that many? And more. He and did, more. And more brilliant ones. Your dad and you breaking my heart. <laughs> That's really beautiful. What is... Here we go. Oh, boy. What is the film that you thought is the sexiest? It is a film called Unfaithful. Uh, Adrian Lyne? Diane Lane? Diane Lane. Richard Gere? Richard Gere. And a sexy boy? And Kylie Minogue's ex-boyfriend. Yes. <laughs> What's his name again? Mm, I can't remember his name. Oh, shit. But, yeah, amazing. I watched that. I can't remember when it came out. But it is, it's a really sexy film. Also, like, she's cheating on Richard Gere, who I have a huge crush on anyway. Right. So. That's really good. But recently... <laughs> that's really good. That's really good. Like, both sides, she's just having a great time. Mm-hmm. Uh, recently, somebody on Twitter contacted me because they knew I liked Unfaithful. And they right. said, are you aware of a deleted scene where he goes down on her during an afternoon screening of a uh, Jacques Tati film? <laughs> I said... What, Plato? Yeah, <laughs> I said, uh, I am not aware of this deleted scene. And they said, I'll go find it for you. So they go find it on like some porny website. Oh, yeah. Send me the link. And like her popcorn's going everywhere. It's really, <laughs> it's really hot. Olivier Martinez. That's him. Thank yes. you. So he is going down on her in the cinema in the afternoon. And I think going to the cinema in the afternoon is also hot. You feel really loose. Yeah. You go, yeah. yeah. Don't have a job. Can do mm-hmm. anything. So there's there's a lot of there's a lot going on there. Also, there's probably like weirdos in the cinema around them as well. Definitely. Yeah. I love Diane Lane. I mean, that's a good shout. Yeah, she's good. Uh, I haven't seen Unfaithful. What? I was worried it would be too much for me. <laughs> Skip the film. I've got yeah. a link to this deleted yeah, scene. Yeah, this really, it's really hot. <laughs> uh, that's quite a recent one. Okay, that's good. Um, do you have? There's a subcategory to this question. Right. Troubling boners, worrying wide ones. <laughs> is there a film that you were perhaps aroused by that you thought, I don't think this is right. This is something a bit wrong here. Okay. Well, I don't want this to be like the cunnilingus subcategory, but <laughs> looping back to Reanimator, there's a bit... Have you seen Reanimator? No. There's a bit where a... Um, and I'm not strictly saying this is hot. It was just... Um, a scene in a horror film where you go, oh, that's a bit rude. Okay. Like, unexpectedly rude. So, Barbara Crampton, she's lying on the slab. She's naked and she's screaming. She's alive, but yeah. she doesn't want to be there. She's being held, held captive. 
she's screaming and there's this headless body he's been reanimated so his head is severed and he's just walking around holding his own head right. and he places it like like she's screaming and he goes rawr and goes like between her legs oh great that is not a hot scene that is a just an unexpectedly rude bit that you go oh okay and she's doing a barbara barbara crampton scream so it's a good one as well and okay. it's bouncing off the mortuary walls it's very bad um we- but is that what you were expecting when you went to the movie? <laughs> I was so disappointed. <laughs> Although I did see a decapitated man. Did you? Um, I would say the, the film that gave me my first wide on would yes. be Drop Dead Fred. Because my very first crush was Rick Mail. Really? And I would watch it now and I think I'd still find it hot because he's still hot. And I miss him a lot. Yeah. One of my first crushes is Phoebe Cates. So that's a dream film for the two of us. Yeah. Smash. Wow. Uh, Drop Dead Fred's... Yeah, he's doing lots of things with bogeys and... It's very yeah. bottom. Yeah. I rewatched all of Bottom recently as well. Mm-hmm. And it is such a different show to watch as an adult who's had no money and had to mm. live in shitholes and had to make... It's like a documentary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the, one, the, the stuff you do when you have no money to do anything else. Like, they're yeah. just sitting around talking to each other. And um, it is so much better than dick jokes and fart jokes. Yeah. And I think it's underrated, even though people love it. They love it for reasons that I think there are better ones. Interesting. Uh, great answer. What is the film? I like this question. Some people struggle with it. Mm-hmm. What is the film that you relate to the most? Ghost World. Great, great, great. You're the first person <laughs> who hasn't gone, what do you mean? <laughs> no, I... Enid Coleslaw in Ghost World, and this is Dan Cloud's comics again. I watched yep. it because I love Dan Cloud's comics, and I always loved Ghost World before it was a film. Mm-hmm. That was one of those, like, I heard it was going to be a film, and Terry Zweigoff was doing it, and, yeah. you know, I was excited about it before it came out, and then it came out in America, but I was in Australia, so we had to find it some other way. Ugh, it took me ages to see it, and then I eventually saw it. I fucking loved it, and not only because I was a teenager at the time, mm-hmm. and I was, like... I was doing a lot of art stuff. So the fact that she has to do a remedial art class for fuck ups and retards. I was like, Oh, that's my, that's what I'm doing. And you know, the interest in weirdos, I'm kind of veering more into the Rebecca character now, like being a little tired of the fuck ups and the, the weirdos. Which one's which? Scarlett Scarlett Johansson is the friend who was previously fully into Thora Birch's idea of, these are our people, like yeah. the weird guys, like let's follow the Satanists. But they graduate high school and she gets a job at Starbucks and working in retail really grinds you down yes. with the, the the weirdos. Like I worked in a comic book shop for five years. And before that I worked in a bookshop. And before that I worked in a DVD shop and they all have their own breeds of strange men and women. And after a while, like if someone nice walks in, you just go, Oh, this is the, best day you're so boring Mm. like nothing has occurred here (laughs) thank you so rebecca the the scarlett johansson character she's kind of veering into that she's not fully into it Mm. but um she's getting a little tired of thora birch's thing of just this weird guy who's annoying me she's like yeah but he's our people no not really you get bored of the the weirdos so yeah, the Enid Coleslaw thing. And also, she befriends uh, Steve Buscemi, yeah. the Seymour, and he's the he's selling records and stuff. I have had a series of friends who are basically him. Really? But they'll be, you know, 
into comics. They'll be cartoonists. Like this, just the strange men who they're like, they stay home and they don't talk to anybody else. And then because I'm interested in that one thing they're interested in, they think I'm in love with them. And then it all blows up and then I like go away. So Enid leaving on the bus, you know, it, it's basically a documentary of a series of uh, friendships in my life. So your life is Geist, Wild and Bottom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. How bleak. No, that's um, great. But, you know, the, the, but there's also Seymour, the character of Seymour. Do you remember when she's, like, thinking, uh, she's like, what are your interests? Because she wants to do um, a dating advert for him. Mm. And he's like, oh, don't put down my interests. I hate my interests. <laughs> that... You know, occasionally I'll find myself, it usually happens at the BFI. I'll be sitting there, um, in it, it'll happen in the little studio bit, you know, where they put the films that nobody likes. Yeah. So there's like 14 seats or something. I went there on a Friday night, nine o'clock on a Friday night to watch a Brian De Palma documentary. And it was me and Nat Metcalf and like. Who you worked in the comic book shop with. Yeah. My former boss. Yeah. Um, and like two other people and you look around, you go, is this me? And I remember another time. Was it the film De Palma? Yeah. Great film. Great film. Great film. Great film. I love like, there was a weird cut in that film where they just from out of nowhere cut to Harry and the Hendersons. Do you remember? (laughs) Yeah. You go, the fuck? That was the best bit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I went to see Peter Wingard in conversation at the BFI talking about he was doing, they were showing a BBC production, one of those live plays that they put on the TV. And it was the first time um, a gay character, an openly gay character had been mm-hmm. on British TV. So it was an interesting collection of people in the cinema. A lot of, a lot of people were kind of gay men turning up in the hopes that Peter Wingard will finally come out. <laughs> and I think he died about a year later, right. but he, he would do like little leaps to try and get around it. So he would never fully answer questions. He wouldn't deny anything, but yeah, he was, he I don't was, know enough about that. That sounds interesting. It was interesting, but the, you know, when you go and see something, you must've done this. Like you go and see something so niche yeah. at the BFI that the people who come down, like it's nice if you turn up early, like if you yeah. walk along the South bank and you try and guess who's going to come, to this thing that you've just got tickets to. And then if you turn up early in the cinema, you can watch them come in and people look like they're puppeteered by the Jim Henson creature shop. You know, they're very (laughs) weird. Yeah. And the Slender Man wanders in. Yeah. And there are a bunch of people who really couldn't give a shit what you thought of them because they are interested in this thing and Mm. that's what they do. And they, after this, they'll go home and they'll watch more of it. Yeah. And that's what their life is. So I sit there and I, and I go, I do love this thing on the screen. And I probably would have great conversations with all of these people, Mm. but you go, Oh God, I hate my interests. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean, I very much understand what you're saying. Um, what is, so I think you've already answered this, the film, actually, maybe not the film you think is the greatest film of all time, objectively. I would say objectively, the apartment is the greatest film of all time. You would, would you also say it's your favourite? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So am I allowed to have you two answers? Okay. You can, and, and, the, and it is a really great film. So you yeah. allowed it, and the story you told made me cry. So <laughs> it's now my favourite. Uh, what is a film 
you could or have watched the most over and over again? The Jerk. Ah, oh, I love The Jerk. I love The Jerk. Any Carl Reiner movies, like, yeah. just let me watch him over and over. And I think I miss Steve Martin being in films all the time. Me too. And I think he was underrated as a babe. If you look back, he was really good looking. <laughs> and The Jerk is just too funny. Yeah. It's just concentrated jokes. And I um, started watching it again regularly pretty soon after Trump got elected. <laughs> okay. It was a shitty time. Yeah. And I was, I'm, I'm on Twitter a lot and I'm on reading news a lot. And I just turned it off it. and thought I'm going to watch The Jerk. That's a very nice thing to do. And it's just nice. It's comforting. It's yeah. comforting like British cop shows are comforting, but it's funnier. Yeah. You know? And that's his first film. I mean, nailed it. Nailed it. Nailed it. Nailed Worked it. Worked out to be funny on screen. Yeah. I mean, it's a great film. <laughs> Lovely answer. I'm interested in this one. What's your worst film you ever saw? Dune. <sighs> I hate Dune. David Lynch hates Dune. You can have Everybody that. hates Dune. I loathe Dune. I even, I've given Dune so much effort into liking it. Me too. I, um, I, I saw it at the cinema. I saw it at the Prince Charles cinema. Wow. I don't, I don't like going to the Prince Charles cinema because people talk a lot and people sing a lot and people like to <laughs> quote things, even if it's not a quote along. So I don't like going to that cinema, Right. but I went there cause that's where it was showing and it was awful. Absolutely awful. Mm. And I was bored. I will say that the eyebrow wigs in it are pretty astonishing. And that is its only redeeming factor. And I came out and I tweeted that I said, well, let me be the first to say that Dune is a shitty film. (laughs) And I had all these men replying to me saying, oh, I don't think you're the first one to say it's a shitty film. That was the joke, dipshit. But also I had lots of men saying that the reason I thought it was a shitty film was that I misunderstood Dune. And they were right. just quoting things from like the IMDb page trivia stuff. I can read that stuff too. I have literally just watched the film. Yeah. And they were talking to me as if I hadn't seen it. I, it's one of those films I cannot mention on the internet because I will have people explaining it to me. Hmm. It's like, it's one of those films that they just keep bringing up. Like if you say you like a film, oh, this film, I love this film. There'll, there'll always be somebody saying... Yes, but is it as good as the Goonies? Like, <laughs> like they haven't, they haven't revised their list of favorite films since yeah. they were ten. They got the Goonies. That's the top one forever and ever. So, the Goonies and Dune are always things that provoke responses that annoy me on the internet. As you know, I love David Lynch more than anything, and I think that it is okay not to like Dune because it is the only film that he doesn't like and thinks was a disaster. <laughs> and I trust him. Because when everyone booed him when he made Firework with me, he said, you're all looking at the hole and not the donut. <laughs> and he stood, by, he stood by the film and now everyone goes, oh, it's brilliant that one. Yeah. Whereas June, if he, so, so if he says, it is shit. Oh, yeah. And I really have tried with you because I just think, oh, maybe that's like one gap in my David Lynch world. But I don't even know I've made it to the end. It's almost impenetrable in a not fun way. It was horrible. And I was fidgeting so much that, the guy in charge of this, who was minding the cinema that day was like, can you stop moving? <laughs> like, I was like, Oh God, like I must've been like making a noise. But at what point in making June did David Lynch go? This is shit. It obviously wasn't the Sam Mendes three days in. No, I think, he- very, I think quite, I think he had problems with the studio and they kept taking control of him. And 
you can t- you know it was in trouble because of all the voiceover at the beginning. It's yeah. a bit like the mummy. There's like five different voiceovers trying to explain what the fucking story is, and there's so many voiceovers that you go, "What? <laughs> What's happening then?" <laughs> And then it sort of starts and you go, I'm sorry, I have no idea what you tried to explain to me up top in a voiceover. I think he wasn't allowed to do what he wanted and... Can you imagine, like, stopping David Lynch? Nothing would make sense if it was just in pieces. Can you imagine thinking that... Taking it off him and making him do something else and then thinking this Mm. perfectly constructed weirdness would make any sense? Yeah. Horrible film. (laughs) <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely fine with that. And I'm sorry Good. for all the tweets you're now going to. <laughs> uh, what's the film that made you laugh the most? Let me see, because I couldn't decide on this one. Yeah, and I am gonna, th- I'm gonna say, Young Frankenstein. Okay, because you can say that it's a uh, it's a very good film. And I found out <laughs> that um, the Aerosmith song "Walk This Way" was because they were recording a song nearby and then they, nothing, it wasn't getting anywhere they had a song but they didn't have any lyrics and then they, they said oh let's go take a break so the entire band plus the production team go young frankenstein was playing at some cinema in Times square so they go watch that and on the way back they were all pissing themselves laughing at the bit where he um he says oh walk this way and and oh no walk this way and he starts doing his funny little limp and so that's where that song came from. That's amazing. And I love that. And also, like, back to the Carl Reiner thing, whenever I'm feeling miserable, I Google pictures of Mel Brooks and Carl Reiner hanging out yeah. together because they're the best pals. And every day when I open up Twitter and check the, and check what's going on, I'm frightened that one of them will have died yeah. and left the other one behind. They go to each other's houses and they watch films yeah. and they love films that have the lines secure the perimeter in them. Um Okay, so your favourite film is the, is the apartment. Yeah, can now, I take my poster as well? I'll fold it up. Uh, well, now listen, you've been a wonderful guest, and uh, you've answered everything greatly. However, when you died from laughing at the freeze frame at the end of <laughs> Hank's sex takes in Larry Sanders' show, where he says, "Who do you have to fuck to get this gig?" And you laughed so much that you died. And then cats started chewing on your fingers. Mm-hmm. And for a very brief time, you were reanimated into Catwoman. And you fought crime for actually many, many years and kept us all safe. But then at the age of 90, you'd used up your nine lives. And you watched Larry Sanders again because it doesn't date. <laughs> and you watched Hank's divorce gun, the divorce gun. Uh-huh. And at the end... He said, oh, I haven't seen this in years. And then you laughed and then you died. When that happened, we put you, as per your request, we put you in the alkaline thing, Mm -hmm. made you into a bag of Coke. However, (laughs) when we put that bag of Coke into the little coffin that was made for you, because we thought it's only going to need a little one, Mm -hmm. we'd misjudged the size. (laughs) And this bag of Coke absolutely filled it, totally filled it. And there was no room for this poster, none of the requests. There's only room for one DVD, not even in its case. One DVD to take with you, because on the other side there's movie night, and one night it's your movie night. So what's the film you're going to take with you to show at movie night? It's going to get all scratched up Well, it's by my, my bone dust. You're powdered. Well, I like to be left alone, so I think I should take them reanimator, because <laughs> no one will want to hang out with me after I show them reanimator. Okay. 
That's an excellent answer. Uh, <laughs> thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank You've you. been an excellent guest. Uh, we all look forward to your book about death, if you ever finish it. And um, don't don't be... Maybe there is hope. All right. <laughs> thank you very much. Bye. Good night. So that was episode 25. Head over to patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein to help support the show and find any treats that may be over there. Thank you so much to Hayley for coming on the show. Thanks to Scrooby's Pip and the Distraction Pieces Network. Thanks to Buddy Peace for producing it. Thanks to Acast for hosting it. Thanks to Adam Richardson for the graphics and Lisa Lydon for the artwork. So that is it for now. I hope you all have a very happy New Year's Eve. And please, be excellent to each other. All year long. Sometimes I dream of becoming an actor. Have you ever dreamt of becoming an actor? Maureen, what is it you think I'd do for a living? Never mind. Sounds like you need the New York Film Academy. NIFA offers workshops, BFA and MFA degrees and summer camps in filmmaking, acting, journalism and more. Online and on campuses across the globe. To make films alongside industry professionals, explore more at nyfa.edu. Thanks, Brett. Thank you, Maureen. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.